You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. Our Heavenly Father, you are to us our God, our Lord, our Savior, Messiah, our Redeemer. And you say to us that you are not ashamed to call us your brothers and sisters. We are grateful, Father, for the story of life and for the ability to share that with one another and that our stories intermingle to make the story that you want to come true, true. We are your people for your kingdom's sake. And we are here for that purpose today. And so we pray, Lord, that the things that we've already heard will be part of what we do and what we pray for. We ask, Heavenly Father, for the gifts that will be given through Operation Christmas Child to touch, again, millions of lives of children and their families across the world, predominantly very, very poor. And they receive not only in this gift toys, but they receive the gospel. They receive an understanding of the word of God through Samaritan's Purse workers. And we pray even now, Lord, that the gifts that will be sent will be the way to open the hearts and the ears to those who receive them, that they would receive the greatest gift of all, the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, your son. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the opportunity that we have in this church to serve you and to worship. And we thank you for JC and for her family. We thank you for what you gave to her in her time of rest. We thank you that she rested, that she might serve you better and worship you more. And we pray that you would continue to bountifully bless her service to you in this church. We pray, Heavenly Father, now as we move into a time of looking and studying your word, that it wouldn't just be an exercise of intelligence, but it would be a transforming experience with the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts that we would be changed to the living word of God and that our lives would be altered in a way that we would always remember we were here and you were here and together we move forward. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. May we learn what prayer is truly in your heart and in our hearts as well. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. When I first became a Christian, uh, I knew that I had to pray. Before I became a Christian, I prayed. I remember my first prayer um, that as a young boy, I was actually 12 years old, but what I remember was praying for uh, my auntie who had died. And, um, of course, I didn't have very good theology. I wasn't a Christian. So I thought that I would talk to my auntie, but I knew I didn't have a direct line to her. But I knew I could pray. And so I I prayed to God, and I said, God, could I talk to Auntie Esther? And I assumed that he made the connection so that we could. And I said, Auntie Esther, we miss you so much. Um, And your husband misses you, and her her children miss you, and I miss you. And that was my first memory of prayer at the age of 12. Uh, But I became a Christian when I was 16. 
And right after I became a Christian, I understood that prayer was more of a conversation with God, but it was because I had a relationship now with Jesus and that I could talk directly to God. So in the same way that before I became a Christian, I could, thought I could talk directly to my auntie, and by doing that, talking directly to God first, I did learn that there absolutely was a way to communicate with God. And the lady or the young girl um, who introduced me to Jesus um, said, to this, said this to me early on. I still remember this. I was a brand new Christian, and she said, Curtis, prayer is like a muscle, and the more you use it, the stronger it gets. Prayer is like a muscle, and the more you use it, the stronger it gets. And I've always remembered that, and I've noticed over the 40 years that I've been a Christian that that indeed is true, is that the more I pray, the more I want to pray. And the more I pray, the more I learn about God and about my relationship with Him. And the more I see His answers, both yes, no, and wait. Those are God's three answers. And I've learned that wait is the more common answer that God gives to us. And in that time, I must continue to pray. And as I pray, I continue to get stronger in faith. Jesus wants us to enjoy prayer with God. He doesn't want it to be an exercise of futility. He doesn't want it to be an exhibition. He doesn't want it to be a religious exercise. He wants it to be a conversation as if you and I were sitting at a table over a cup of coffee or maybe some boba and talking and sharing and being able to communicate with him. And so Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount teaches us about prayer. He teaches us about real prayer. He teaches us about true prayer. He teaches us about transforming conversation and good communication with God so that we are connected and we are linked together so that we would have genuine community and communion with Him. This is what we want. And this is the purpose of today's sermon, that you would want to pray to God even more, not because you want answers, but because you want God. When I first became a Christian, again, I was going to this church and I had access to the pastor and I would pray and I'd pray with him. One day he said to me, Curtis, you need to seek the giver more than the gifts. You need to seek the giver more than the gifts. I was so impressionable as a young believer and remember that God changed me from the inside out. He changed me to understand what prayer was. He changed me to understand how I should pray. And he's changed me so that I know that even in the worst times of life, prayer is the best thing we can do. And so today, as we look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, we're going to learn about genuine, true, transforming prayer. Let's stand together in honor of God, in honor of his word, and let's read these words together out loud. Let's begin. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Amen. Please be seated. God wants us to pray. But what is prayer? 
What is prayer? So Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, and when you pray, not, not if you pray, he doesn't command us to pray, he just says you are going to pray. So when you do, you do this. Well, what is prayer? Prayer in uh, Greek is just two words put together. It's prosukamai. And the first word is a preposition, pros. And pros means it's, it's a preposition of direction. It means that you are moving forward or you're going towards something. And yukamai means to wish. And what it means is that we are going forward expressing our wishes. And so that became to mean prayer. It also came to mean worship. And it also came to mean to supplicate for somebody else, to bring wishes to God for the sake of others. And we call that intercession. And God wants us to pray. And there's so many ways that we can pray. There's so many ways that we might define prayer in our own lives. We might say that oh, it's because we bow down and we close our eyes. We might say that where two or three are gathered, there is prayer. We might pray in a way that we would say is out loud and out in the universe to God. And God, where are you? I need your help. We pray in, in so many different places. And we pray with so many different words. We need something more than just a definition of prayer. What we really need is an example of prayer. Because prayer to me is more, and I believe the Bible will teach this to us, prayer is more than words. Prayer is more than a ritual. Prayer certainly is more than saying something that you've memorized. But prayer is a genuine conversation with God. We know many, many times in the New Testament, Jesus prays. And we only get an intimate look at what he actually says only a few times. But the best look that we have of Jesus praying is found in John chapter 17. The whole chapter of John chapter 17. And in that, I hope that you would go home and read the whole chapter. You'll see a conversation that Jesus has with his heavenly father. But the first three verses here help us to really get an understanding of an example of what real prayer is. Let's say this together. And remember, these are Jesus's words. And after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus is talking to his heavenly father, and he is speaking to him in a personal conversation, as you and I might talk to one another. And this is what Jesus wants us to do. And so he says to us, so when you pray, this is the way I want you to pray. In verse 5, Jesus says, I want you to pray with sincerity. But he says it in these words. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. God wants us to pray to him, not to people, not for the sake of what other people see. He wants us to pray in a secret place. Last week, if you were here, you heard the sermon from our brother Neil. And one of the things that he taught us about was true acts of practices of righteousness. And we learned last week that our real practice is to be before God. 
Our real practice is not to be seen by other people. That's not the purpose of what we do. We are to have an attitude and a heart of secrecy so that when we do our acts, we are doing it not for the sake of what others might see, but for what only God would see. And God tells us too, then as he spoke to us in the words before in Matthew 6, chapter, Matthew chapter 6, 1 through 4, that God wants us to know that when we do it right, when we pursue God in righteousness, when we give our gifts to other people or to God in secret, and now when we pray in secret that God has something very special for us. He has a reward. He has a special reward for each and every one of us if we would seek him. And he wants us to seek him sincerely. Jesus wants us not to do it out in the public place so that others might see, but he wants us to do it in a way that would be genuine, not like the hypocrites do. And a hypocrite, as you learned again last week, was an actor. It was somebody who puts on an assumed personality. Essentially, they are pretending in public. And this is what the hypocrites did. They did all that because they want attention. But God wants us to pray genuinely and sincerely. In the New Testament, the word sincere means to be pure and undeceitful. It means that you can hold something up to the light and examine it to see if there's any flaws or to see if it's genuine and true. And this is what God wants for you and me. He wants us to pray in a way that is genuine and true. I think a great example of this is in Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through 13. And here we see two different people praying. We see the Pharisees or the hypocrites praying. And then we see a broken man praying. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood up and prayed about, and it could actually be translated, or prayed to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evil deers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector, the broken man, stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This was the broken man. This was the man who fell before God and didn't care what other people said or what other people saw. He simply spoke to God. And this is what Jesus would want for you and me to simply speak to God and not to do it hypocritically, not to do it for public opinion, not to pray so that other people think how spiritual we are, but to pray simply because we want to talk to God, simply because we want to be in his presence, simply because we need to be in fellowship with him. We can't fool God is what Jesus is saying. So don't try to fool people. There were three times of prayer in the Jewish day back then. One was they were to pray before going to bed. And then they were to pray when they get up. And then they were to pray at the midday sacrifice, which usually happened around 3 p.m. And this is the time that Jesus is talking about these hypocrites. And on their way to the temple at 3 p.m., they would say, oh, you know, hey, I didn't quite make it to the temple, but I am here on the street corner. I better pray. And so they prayed in such a way as to try to make a show of themselves. And Jesus says, don't do that. 
Now, for you and me, going, you know, um, that's probably not too big of a problem. I would think that there are some issues for us that we have to deal with not being a hypocrite. Uh, but the reality is that most likely our problem is going to be with what Jesus is talking about after the hypocrisy. Um, there's surveys done all the time, and George Barna is a big Christian researcher, and so he did a research on prayer just a couple years ago. And he asked the people who pray, how, how do you pray? Well, 82% said they pray silently by themselves. Only 2% said they pray audibly or with another group of people or even at church. So, so if that statistic rings true here, then only 2% of people here would have to worry about hypocrisy, at least in public. Okay, that would include me. Um, but most of us pray silently. Most of us pray on our own. So I think that for you and for me, maybe the trouble isn't with hypocrisy in prayer. The trouble is with inconsistency or even a lack of prayer. That we want to pray. And God would even want us to pray more. Again, numbers and time isn't what he's looking for. But fellowship and communion. And so Jesus wants us to pray in secret. He wants us to pray in secret, just like he wants us to give our alms in secret. He wants us to spend time with him in secret. In verse 6 it says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And this word secret means to be concealed. It means to do something in private. And so what we see here is Jesus is saying, I want you to go into a room. Now, the word room can be translated closet, okay? And so, so many people actually do take that literally, and it wouldn't be wrong to take it literally, but it's more than that. So some people literally have a place in their home, a closet, a storeroom, a separate room that is just dedicated to prayer. That's fine. That's good. But Jesus is talking about even more than that. He's talking about having a heart that wants to be alone with God. And the reason is Jesus is telling us is that this is like a command. He's saying, I want you to close the door. I want you to spend time with your father. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm inviting you to spend time with me alone. I am inviting you to spend time with the maker of the universe. I am inviting you to spend time with the person who has the answer to all your problems. I'm inviting you to spend time with somebody who loves you more than anybody else in all the world. I'm inviting you to a time of privacy, a time to be alone with me. And don't we need that in this world? Don't we need it? At work, at school, at home. I'm not going to ask you to do this, but I bet every hand would rise if I said, how many of you feel like you're just too busy? We have students that are busy. We have moms and dads that are busy. We have so much to do in our families. But can you imagine, what if you had 19 children? If you had 19 children, do you think you would find time to pray in that day? There's a lady, her name's Susanna, and she had 19 children. Two of them are very well known. Two of them you may know about. One was named John, and the other name was Charles. 
and their last name was Wesley. And John is pretty much given credit for starting the movement that's now known as, well, it's the Wesleyan movement or the Methodist church. And, and his brother was known for many hymns that we sing, like, And Can It Be? Charles Wesley wrote that. He also wrote Hark the Herald Angels Sing, which we'll be singing soon. He wrote over 6,000 hymns. How did all that happen? They give credit to the fact that their mom prayed for them. Their mom prayed for them. Prayed for them all the time. And they grew up with this understanding that there was a time when mom would go into her closet and pray, and the 19 children were not to bother them. Well, they weren't really, like, you know, going into a closet. She wasn't really doing that. You know what she'd do? She might be in the kitchen. She would take her apron, and she'd throw it over her head, and she would just sit down. And the children knew that when the apron went over mom's head, it was like mom was putting out a great big do not disturb sign. And mom was talking to the creator of the universe. And mom was praying for them. And this is you and me, that Jesus is saying, I want you to go into a secret place. I want you to have utter concentration. I want you to give yourself over to me. I want you to spend time with me alone. Jesus did it so much. And he enjoyed it, and he wants us to do it too. And in it, he found purpose, and in it, he found meaning, and in it, he found the answers to the challenges of his own life. There's so many times that we'll just look at two of them. One is Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Jesus has just begun his ministry, and it says very early in the morning, while it was still dark, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And if you read the context of that in Mark chapter 1, Jesus is maintaining his focus on his ministry. He went into prayer, and he went away from all the crowds, and he was reminding, being reminded by his father during that time of prayer why he came. And when he came out, he says, let us go, because I have been called to preach the good news to the world. He understood that it was through prayer that he was reminded, even in his flesh, even though he was perfect God and perfect man, he still needed time with his heavenly Father in prayer. In Matthew chapter 14, we read these words. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside. He prayed and he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. He was there alone. Now, immediately follows, immediately after he had fed the 5,000. We're familiar with that story, the miracle where Jesus fed 5,000 people. But the context of Jesus feeding the 5,000 happened on the days right after John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, was beheaded. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus heard that John had been beheaded, he went off by himself on a boat to be alone. But the people knew that Jesus had gone off on a boat, and they followed him along the sides of the Sea of Galilee. And when he landed, they were there, 5,000 people. And the Bible says that Jesus looked at them, and he had compassion on them. He didn't get to finish his time alone with God to mourn the death of his cousin. 
He didn't have time to go and be refreshed with God and to find comfort with God, but he saw the 5,000, and there was even more because there's 5,000 men, so it doesn't count all the children that came with them or the wives and the women. But Jesus had compassion on them. And so he gave up that time alone with his heavenly father and he ministered to them and he fed them. And then it says immediately, he just couldn't wait to have time alone with his heavenly father. And so he did that. And he continued to pray even though it was a difficult season in his human life. And so for you and me, God wants us, like Jesus, to go away and find that time of prayer with him, to find that time alone with him. Just three simple applications to the secrecy of prayer. Find, make, and choose a place of meeting with God, maybe just under an apron. And then sit and kneel, even if only for a few minutes. Just take some deep breaths and remind yourself God is in control. You don't have to say all your prayers. He already knows them. And then set this to be your goal at least once a day, maybe more. Spend some time simply and secretly with God. Well, the third thing that we learn in this passage is that God also wants us to come to him in simplicity. In verse 7, it says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Simplicity. Just words from the heart. Just genuine words that come out of our mouth because those are in our thoughts. Just letting God know what we want with simple words. They don't have to be really religious. They just need to be really honest. But there were other people, and that was the pagans, and those were the hypocrites, and they were babbling. And this word babbling means vain repetitions. They would just keep saying over and over and over again. And the word can actually be just translated stuttering. This babbling, they were just stuttering out their words. And they think that it's by their words, their many, many words, and, and by the effort, oh God, please answer my prayer. That, that God would answer that. They believe that. They believed in the longer the prayer, the better, and then maybe God will hear me. And if they ran out of words, they just pray it again, over and over and over again. Endless repetitions. And God says, no, I don't need that. I just need the simplicity of words. Sometimes the best prayers we pray might just simply be one word like, help. I remember. I remember there's a time Carol and I were going through one of the most difficult times of our marriage. And, and we were at a retreat. We were at a pastor's retreat. We got into a disagreement, uh, also known as a fight. Um, and, and I was broken. And I was hurting. And I remember just laying there in our cabin. I didn't know what to say. And all I said was, help. Help. The next day, we went to the, the meetings and um, happened to be sitting in the front row. Our speaker was Jack Hayford. And I don't know if you know who Jack Hayford is, but um, he is a very well-known pastor down in the San Fernando Valley, the Church of the Way church on the way, and um, he was praying, and he was teaching us about how God ministers to us, and he goes, I want to give you an example 
of what God does. And he walked up to somebody in the front row and he put his hand on him and he prayed for him. And it was me. He just chose me. Just happened to be sitting in the front row that day. And I believe that it was that moment that God was saying, I answered your prayer. I'm answering your prayer. You and Carol will be okay. May God answered my simple prayer for help. We don't need a lot of words. There's a great example of too many words in, in 1 Kings. The prophet Elijah was, was preaching the true one God message in the Holy Land. But there were so many false religions, and one of them were the prophets of Baal. And there are 450 prophets of Baal. And they were going to come against the God of the universe, against Elijah's God, because Elijah challenged them. And Elijah said to these 450 prophets, you know what, let's have a contest, right? Let's have a contest, and let's see whose God really is real. So let's go get two bulls, and let's create two altars, and you can go first. I tell you what, you get your bull, you sacrifice your bull on the altar, you go, and you get it ready, and the God who answers by fire, who consumes the sacrifice, that'll be the true God. And all the people who are watching Elijah as he gave him this challenge said, that sounds like a great idea. And so they showed up for the show. And the 450 prophets of Baal, they cut their bull, they put it there, and they start praying. Nothing happens. So Elijah goes, oh, I want you to pray more. I want you to pray more. And they go, oh, God, and they pray more, and they dance around, and then nothing happens. Elijah goes, yeah, what's wrong with your God? Maybe he's busy. Uh, maybe he doesn't care. Why don't you pray louder? And they go, oh, they pray louder. Nothing happens. And then their time is up. And then Elijah prays. And you probably can figure out what happened. Elijah prays. And, and he prays not with a lot of words. He doesn't pray with endless repetitions. He doesn't pray to try to impress anybody. He prays simply to his God with simple words. And he says, answer me, O Lord Answer me so that these people will know that you, O oh Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Just simple words. Elijah was saying this, God, answer me so that when the people see you consume this bull with fire, they will know the one true God and they will turn to you and be saved. And God answered his prayer and consumed the bull. And the people said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And when God answers our prayers, these are the reasons he does. That we might know who is God. And he is the God who loves us. And the God who wants to be with us in secret. And the God who wants us to come to him just as we are. There are so many ways that, that we might pray. And Jesus isn't saying that we can't repeat our words. Um, even in Gethsemane, Jesus prayed three times. That the, 
trial and the cup might be removed from him. Paul prayed three times that the thorn of the flesh would be removed. But for both Paul and for Jesus, for Elijah, the heart of the matter was that they just wanted God's will. And they were willing to accept what God would say, do in answer to their simple prayers. And so here are three predictable principles for us regarding the simplicity of prayer. Remember that many words don't influence God. You don't need a lot of words. Avoid superstitions like over and over repetitions or memorized prayers or, or anything that seeks to earn God's answer to prayer. And then always do this. Remember to ask with the desire that you would be truly seeking what God wants, his desires, and you are willing to accept his answer as hard as it may be, even if it's not what you want. God wants us to pray in simplicity. God wants us to pray remembering that he wants to be with us in secret. God wants us to pray with sincerity. And God wants us to pray knowing that that time with him is sacred time. Verse 8, do not be like them. Those are the hypocrites. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. God knows what we need before we ask him. This is sacred time. Remember, we are meeting with the God of the universe. How much does God know? Everything. In Psalm 139, verse 4, the Bible tells us that even before a word is on our tongues, the Lord knows it completely. He is omniscient. In Habakkuk, Chapter 2, verse 20 says, But the Lord, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. God wants us to come to him in reverence. God wants us to approach him, remembering he is sacred. He knows all things. He is God, he is omniscient, he is omnipotent. He can do all things and he knows all things. And we are coming into his presence. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this about our need to understand who we are approaching when we come to God. He says, I am now entering, when I pray, into the audience chamber of God, the Almighty, the Absolute, the Eternal and Great God, with all of his power and all his might and majesty, that God who is an all-consuming fire, that God who is light and in whom there is no darkness at all, that utter, absolute, holy God, that is the one to whom I'm talking to. So whether I am praying silently, secretly, sincerely in my closet, or whether I'm preaching behind, preach, praying behind a pulpit, God wants me to remember who I'm talking to, that he is almighty and great God. And he knows all things. And some of us might say, well, gee, if God already knows all things, then why should I pray? You know, God already knows what I want. Well, that would be like saying that, you know, I told my wife that I love her when we got married. So I don't need to tell her again. I don't need to communicate that again. Or, you know, I, I spent a lot of time with my wife while we were dating. So now that we're married, I got what I wanted. So I don't need to keep doing that. You know, I don't need to spend time with her. 
And God wants our fellowship. He wants our love all the time, at the moment of our conversion until the moment we are translated into heaven to be with him. God wants us to be with him all the time. Or it would be like a, a child saying, you know, since daddy already knows everything that I need, I think I'll just sit and wait until he gives it to me. Well, you're going to wait till you die. Because daddy wants to hear from your own mouth what you need and what you want because you know he is your father and that he cares about you. And though he has the storehouses of heaven to answer every prayer, he still wants that trust to say, Daddy, this is what I want. This is what I think I need. Can I have it? And our heavenly father may say yes, or he may say no, or he may say not yet. But he wants us to come to him in prayer. He wants us to remember who he is. He wants us to remember he is almighty God in sovereign control. And so some principles for us regarding this is that we are to remember that we are not, when we pray, we are not informing our Father or our God of something he doesn't know. He already knows it. We are not exciting God to act or to complete some duty. We are not making God do what he doesn't want to do. We are not forcing him against his reluctance. We are coming to an almighty, omniscient, omnipotent God who knows what is best, and he wants our fellowship with him of trust and enjoyment, like just resting against him while we wait, believing that he's with us even when it hurts, knowing that he loves us even when we feel so lonely and afraid don't know what to do. He's with us. And then we also know with this omnipotent God that we are communicating with him. We are communicating with our heavenly father and we are communicating because we are in communion with him. We are not arousing him to act against any type of reluctance. We are arousing ourselves to be with him and to seek him and to know him, and to receive his love. We are exercising that muscle of faith and prayer, and we are getting stronger. We are growing in our character as we grow in understanding God's character, and we are meditating upon that. And when we pray, we are depending upon his promises. And so Jesus is telling us here, I want you to pray. I want you to pray alone. I want you to spend some time with me. And so, as we conclude, let it just be this to you as a point of application. Spend time today, some time today, alone with God. It could be short or it could be long. But just bring yourself to Him sincerely, remembering who He is, and speaking your words, and do it tomorrow, and do it a little bit every day, because it is our responsibility to pray, but it's God's responsibility to answer. And our faith is that God will answer at the perfect time. Let us just turn to him and know that this conversation brings us into communion with the God of the universe who loves us and cares. Let us pray.